0: Welcome, this is William Evans, and you are listening to a Living World Conversation. Our guests today are Jake and Molly Shipman from the Dooley Creek Farm, a short distance up the Crystal River from Carbondale. Welcome, Jake and Molly. Thank you. Thank you. Are you still getting through it? We are. Yeah, we're uh, just going day by day and getting through And how are your animals
1: the animals are all fine. Um, our our house went up in flames <laughs> on November 23rd, right before Thanksgiving and uh, we lost the whole house but none of the animals were harmed at all. The, they were in outbuildings farther out from the house and the fire department was able to contain the fire and, and they were all fine. Now we're just trying to keep them going through this long lasting spring It has been quite a
0: winter, hasn't it? Yeah. And you both grew up close to the land
2: on a farm. That is correct. I grew up in New Mexico, southeastern New Mexico, on a conventional cotton alfalfa farm.
1: And I grew up here on this place. Um, It was my grandparents. They bought it in 1949, and then my parents inherited it, and I grew up there. And it was was more just a hobby farm. We had all kinds of different animals. It wasn't a commercial farm. But uh, just grew up around animals and gardening.
0: So you know what it's like when the rhythm of your heart is in resonance with the earth, and you have a sense of balance and being alive in the here and now. We do,
2: we do, we we definitely feel connected to the uh, to the ranch and to the to the earth.
1: Yeah, one thing that. Is really special to me is just going out in the summers and walking. And I love plants and just walking around the property and seeing how a familiar tree or a, a, a bush has grown or changed each year is really special. It's just a way of staying connected. And what's neat about that is that it's not just me, it's multi-generational because I can go to a tree and say, oh, Uncle Ben planted that or my dad Planted that, and then it's just this common um, heritage that we have from from my family being passed down, and, and that familiarity. Just having those conversations with the rest of the family, with my dad or with Jake, and say, "Oh, you know that that patch of flowers over there," and and uh, it's it's just very familiar, and we do feel connected.
0: And yet, you each found your way to a city, specifically Greeley north of Denver. And what eventually happened to you in the city? I'll let Molly go on that, because
2: it's her, her story's a little more captivating. Well,
1: um, so I just decided to go to college at UNC in Greeley. I had family there and I wanted to study dietetics and they had a program. Um, so I ended up going there and ended up staying 16 years. I, I got my degree in dietetics, human nutrition, and then went on to get a job at a regional hospital there and I worked as a clinical dietitian for 10 years both there and then part-time at a nursing home and that's where Jake and I met and uh, it was it was a good time I I really enjoyed Greeley I made good friendships there but over time I started doing some research on my own on nutrition and just Listening to my patients telling stories and then looking at the their medical history, and a lot of what I was seeing was that it didn't really line up with the paradigm of Western medicine didn't really line up with what I was seeing anecdotally and reading on the side. Um, you know, you go to school and you learn that things are a certain way. And then you go into the real world, and you find out they aren't quite what you were taught in school. <laughs> and so, um, over time, I just I learned more and more about how important the nutrition of the soil is as it relates to to human health and well-being. And I was working at in the hospital with these people that were so very sick with diseases that I saw as being preventable had they been eating. Good, healthy, nutritious food their whole life. And then a lot of what was coming down to me from, like, the American Heart Association and the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, as far as recommendations for me to be educating my patients, it just didn't align with what I was seeing as truth, restricting everything and, and doing a lot of soy-based kind of fake foods in my mind. And so it just, it wasn't really a good fit for me. It, it didn't set well with me. And so it just, it, it happened very naturally that I, I had my first two boys and then Jake and I just started talking about moving back home here to the valley and farming. We started listening to a bunch of YouTube videos on farming and and learning about how important the soil is for health and just how depleted our, our soils are here in America of nutrients. And I was like, this is a perfect fit. I, I am passionate about nutrition and wellness. I want to help people. But I felt I really couldn't do that in the hospital. And so it was just a natural transition to, to pull back and stay home with my children and then move back here and become a farmer where I could be actually producing that good, healthy food to nourish people and prevent a lot of those health problems in the long term.
0: And Joel Salatin was an inspiration to both of you. That is correct. Yeah, we we studied a lot of um, Joel Salatin,
2: uh, a lot of the regenerative holistic guys, uh, Greg Judy, Gabe Brown. And it, it really opened up our eyes to what, what was missing in conventional ag. So my background is um, I grew up on that conventional cotton alfalfa farm in southeastern New Mexico. And then, and worked around confinement cattle operations as well through high school. Went to college for a year, realized school, I had had my fill of school and I was more a hands-on kind of guy. So I was kind of, I was basically living in a recliner in my buddy's dorm room. And after I dropped out and waiting tables in a Mexican restaurant, and I thought, well, what am I going to do? And I was toying with some ideas and my uncle calls and And my mom's side of the family were electricians. And so he called and said, hey, uh, I've got some stuff coming up. I need some help. Uh, Are you interested? You know, I'd worked with him part-time some. So I I decided to go and pursue that career in electrical. And, you know, 25 years later, here I am, still an electrician. I'm fully licensed and stuff. But... Anyway, so then Molly and I met, and then we, we knew we were going to move back to the farm, and then that's when we went down the path of holistic regenerative and started studying Joel Salt and the others and started this move into the holistic regenerative agriculture that we're doing
0: now. So there's one detail I, I kind of want to go back to, and uh, we haven't haven't really talked about it, but you both have it, but particularly, Molly, I'm interested in the connection to the homeschooling that you uh, had with your family before you went to Basalt High School. And my sense of, of homeschooling is it imparts to a child, when it's appropriately done, a sense that they're a, a healthy, valuable human being and capable and competent. And there's a sense of value and responsibility that somehow in the, the mainstream education system is not fully appreciated and communicated to most students. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think I get what you're um, trying to describe here. And, and for me, I would say probably the the biggest benefit to homeschooling for me was that my dad, who homeschooled my sister and I, really taught us how to for ourselves and think outside the box and and when you're able to do that you do just kind of get a a sense of security because you know you can reason through things and you know who you are because you really think about it and you and you examine different ways all different ways of thinking and kind of weigh different ideas and decide for yourself what you truly believe rather than just being told what to believe or, or how to think and do things so I think perhaps that's one of the great values of homeschooling can be. I mean, there are a lot of different contexts and ways it's done and and certainly there's excellent public education as well. But but my experience was that my dad taught us how to think for ourselves. And so that that I believe carried on into my professional career as a dietitian and being able to look at the big picture of healthcare and realize there were a lot of broken things in the system and and now being able to kind of take an active positive change uh, a step in in causing change in that system.
0: So what you were learning at that point in your realization resonated with both of you and and Molly you in particular realized farming offered the opportunity to address health at the ground level and held the power and opportunity for you to move to the preventive end of nutrition. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, because so much of what you see, even like with mental disorders, I worked in a psych care unit for several years, and so many of those disorders are very based in nutritional deficiencies, and we've been able to do nutrient analyses now on, like say, a, a carrot grown conventionally. And I'm just going to throw out numbers here, but, you know, it might have 45 milligrams of beta-carotene versus one that's grown regeneratively in really good soils with proper balances of fungus and bacteria, and that's been, you know, enriched with compost for years and years with this regenerative method, and it might have 1,000 milligrams. And and they're, they're actually analyzing the nutrients in foods now and realizing how much nutrient density has been lost just because our soils are depleted because they've been mined with with conventional agriculture for so many years now. So one of our goals is to grow good, healthy soil so that it can grow good, healthy animals and nourish people and get them the folate and the iron and the omega-3s and all these nutrients that help them stay well in the first place so that they don't become nutrient deficient.
0: And you're on land that your grandparents bought in 1949.
1: Yes. Yeah, they they bought it in 1949 as their retirement farm. They moved down from Leadville when they retired.
0: And so when you you moved back to their farm and now your farm, you joined that long line of hard workers uh, facing a lot of challenges and just putting one step in front of the other.
1: Yeah, there's constant challenge. I mean, even just this spring, we've been faced with a lot of challenges. Well, after the fire, we lost electricity, of course, in the water lines. And so we're literally hauling water to the animals by hand at times this winter. And it's just exhausting work. But you you can't just quit. The animals are depending on you. So you just keep going. And then Jake's always dealing with broken down machines and You know, it's, it's entropy at work, just constantly working to keep things going. But it's also, there's, it's balanced out by, by just the joy of life and abundance of seeing things grow and live. And I think that really is special to both of us.
2: Yes, it is. Yeah, it's, it's neat. And then, and then just our customers, I mean, when they, the way they respond to it and, and, you know, they, they like knowing where they're, they're, food is produced and they really support us and they've been our customers have have really been very supportive through all this through this fire and, and getting through this winter yeah that's
0: beautiful and all the time you're moving toward a clear purpose of quality nutrition above and beyond organic standards that is correct yeah that's that's the end goal and so you know healthy soils
2: healthy animals create healthy food And healthy people.
0: This is KDNK, and you're listening to a Living World conversation with Jake and Molly Shipman from the Dooley Creek Farm. So, Jake, the day before Thanksgiving 2022, you boarded an airplane and flew to Texas, and were working as an electrician for ESPN at a University of Texas football game. When you drove out of the airport in your rental car, your phone rang. That is correct. And uh, you didn't try and answer it, but as soon as you got to a place where traffic calmed down and you could, you listened to the message. Tell us what that message was. Yeah, so I just left the airport. I was in a major intersection.
2: Phone rang. I I glanced. I had the GPS up, so I I saw it was Molly, and I thought, oh, well, next chance I get, I'll, I'll call her back. And... So it just a couple miles, and I got on a side street and was at a stoplight, and I noticed a voicemail, listened to the voicemail, and the voicemail was basically Molly saying, the oven is on fire. How do I turn the gas off? Wow. And it was a little <laughs> panicky in the voice. And so I'm thinking, that's not good. And so immediately I dial the house, and it, it just rings and rings and rings, and we have call waiting. So it. I'm sitting here thinking... This can't be good if it's just ringing and ringing and ringing. And so, of course, my brain goes to the worst is the house is probably gone by now because the phone lines are severed and they're just going to ring and ring. And, and sure enough, it was the case. So I immediately called down to her parents and just to make sure that they knew something was going on. And the first time I called, it just rang through. Nothing happened. And then I waited a few minutes and then I called back and Molly answers the phone. And that's when she said, yeah, the house is engulfed in flames. Fire department's here and that was and the rest is history.
0: So Molly, tell us the the details from uh, Dooley Creek.
1: Well, I, uh, I had just finished brining my turkey for Thanksgiving. <laughs> this was going to be our, our first one to try, year to try one of our own turkeys because we'd sold out the previous two years and I was so excited. So I was there in the kitchen and I had the cleaning the oven on the self cleaning cycle in preparation for baking the turkey the next day. And um, I had a, a customer showed up to, to buy some product and my two year old was sitting there at the the table and the two older boys were down at grandma's house, which is just on the same property. It's my parents lived there. And um yeah, I was talking to the customer and I looked over and this black smoke started coming up from behind the kitchen stove. And there was, um, then shortly after, there was this loud popping noise and the screen went blank on the stove. And at first I thought, well, I I ran and I unplugged everything. I thought we'd blown a breaker before I could actually see the, the smoke. And then I, I rea- realized immediately that it was gas and I need to run out to the propane tank. and. The, the whole sequence of things is a little fuzzy now because it's so, it was you know, it was in slow motion in a way, but really fast, too. So many decisions to be making. And, and so I ran out and I tried to turn the, the propane tank off. I couldn't get the, the dial to turn off. And ran back in, called my parents, had them call 911, um, grabbed the two-year-old, handed him to the customer and said, please stand outside. And I tried to grab a few uh, Well, I moved the cars. Um, sure. I, I did a have pressure. a fire extinguisher. I, I put that on, on the stove. By the time I got back in from um, messing with the propane tank, there were flames. And I, I emptied a fire extinguisher, but it, they came right back just because of the gas. And um, yeah, I just ran outside, started moving cars away from the house. And I, I thought I maybe could fight it with water and so I ran out to get a garden hose and hook it up to the faucet just right outside the front door. But by the time I got the hose, there were already flames, just the whole kitchen. I could look in the outside window, and the whole kitchen was in flames, and there was smoke billowing out the front door, and I couldn't go back in. It was just so fast. It was a 122 year old dry house, just lots of fuel to burn.
0: So you lost your your home and the electrical and water system for all your animals. Mm-hmm. And uh, yet pretty quickly you you communicated to the community that you uh, weren't out of business.
1: Well, yeah. Um, I guess it was just later that day I posted on Facebook just so people would know we were okay, you know, because people driving up and down the, the highway could see the flames. Our neighbors could see the flames a mile down the road. And and so I wanted to get that communication out. And then I realized I needed to communicate with our customers too. So I, I sent out an email just saying what had happened, but and we're still trying to figure things out. And then it really came down to the wire. Jake and I had to make a decision. Are we going to move forward with the farm, or are we going to take a hiatus and rebuild and you know just what what were we going to do and I think it was pretty clear after just a day or two thinking about it that we wanted to continue and go on
2: yeah and and, you know the like I said our customers they were very supportive Um, they they really came through in those first few days and you know with we were faced with with the challenges and so with the water water was the big one it's you know we had we have forty head of cattle well at the time we only had um we had twenty eight head of cattle and you know each each one can drink ten to fifteen ten to twenty gallons of water a day and that's a lot of water and we had we were doing it by hand because our our well was down it you know our pressure tank was in the basement of the house and no electricity so we were running generators and we were shuttling water and I was able to get a gravity-fed system uh, out of the creek. I had this temporary pipe, but it was November, and you know we had to drain it every day. So it was a big challenge. You know the lines would freeze through the day, so we were able to get it going, and that was that was a big turning point for us. It was like, okay, do we continue to try to take care of these animals, or do we just—is it time to just sell them and start over later when we have the infrastructure? But we decided, you know, you know we we like these animals. We've known these, we've had some of them for six, seven years. And so we made the decision right then and there, we're going to do whatever it takes to keep keep this herd here and intact and move forward.
1: And we feel that there is a need for good food in this community. We need food security. We need a resilient agricultural system. And while it's quite hard, um, just because we are kind of the it skipped a generation or two agriculture in this area. You know, it was such a strong agricultural area a, a long time ago. Like just on our farm, we know that at one point it was a big potato farm and also a berry farm because there are old potato sellers on the place. And when my grandparents bought it and they looked down in the basement, there were all of these little berry crates. So it was a, a productive. Commercial farm. Strawberry? Yeah, strawberry. Yeah. Mm-hmm, at one point. Right. And of course, all the potatoes up and down the Roaring Park Valley. And, and then it kind of lapsed off and skipped a generation. And then now we kind of feel, in some ways, like we're having to reinvent the wheel just because there isn't a lot of the infrastructure, like support infrastructure for farming right here in the area. A lot of the, the things we need are we have to ship in from clear cross country and yeah but so so in a way we kind of feel like we're having to pioneer this type of farming in this place and it's hard but it's needed and we feel strongly about it and so we want to do whatever it takes just to keep going and get people good food and help build this agricultural system here locally because there's such a need for it
0: and at the same time, you've got three boys who've lived through this uh, powerful and painful learning experience.
1: Yeah, and they've done really well with it. We were kind of worried, you know, if they'd have trauma because, well, like I say, the two-year-old was right there. He was standing there watching the house go up in flames, and, and then the two younger ones are watching from grandma's, or the older ones are watching from grandma's, and— um we just try to be very open in talking about it from the very first day and ask them how it made them feel and just talk through the losses and and just have that open dialogue with them about what happened and that that yes it was really sad and really hard but we're all okay and we know that we we can move forward and they've they've been really good about it i think sometimes they'll say oh remember that toy remember that dump truck or something that burned and and so it's good they're ver- verbally going through the grief
2: and we also you know we kept the open line of communication but we also tried to keep it lighthearted with them um you know we'd make jokes we'd joke about it a little bit and the the seven-year-old and the nine-year-old they would they would come back with jokes like oh well you know we had that but it burned or it was, that was a little hot for that or, you know, stuff like that. So, so, I mean, they, they dealt with it in their own way and it, they did a really good job with it. The, the youngest one, it seemed like it took him a little bit longer to process. And I think it was one day Molly was driving to town and it seemed to have come to, cause he, you know, he said, Ruth, Ruth and Ruth was the customer that was there. And, and when he said that he was just asking where she was and how she was. And we, and he said something else, Along the lines that made us think that he was just finally processing what had happened in his two, two and a half
0: year old brain. So if you if you survive an adverse event, healing and recovery are a renewal, and and we're more alive, more aware, and grateful than ever before. That is that's so true. Yeah, I, I mean it. You know,
2: we lost a lot of material things. Uh, we lost a lot of family heirlooms, things of that nature. But in the end, we all we all came out alive, and, yeah, we just have a lot clearer perspective on a lot of things in life and how important, precious life is.
1: Yeah, and we still have each other. We have our family, and that's the most important thing. We have the relationships. And I still... I have a hard time with some things that are lost. Like one of the hardest things has been my journals. I had 20 plus years of journals that I had
0: wow. just yes. kind of
1: chronicled my my life and my activities and my thoughts. Then I, I was wanting to pass those on to my boys at some point, and those are just gone. So stuff like that. And there's no but getting it back. They're, but
0: They're alive in your heart, yeah. and you're communicating them.
1: Yeah. And then I realized in the big picture of of life and human history. The vast majority of people didn't have a written language and they didn't have photos and they just passed on verbal tradition and I I can do that for my boys.
0: For anyone who wants wants to know more or help you, your website is DooleyCreekFarm.com? Yes. Thank you, Molly. Thank you, Jake. This is KDNK. You've been listening to a Living World conversation with Jake and Molly Shipman. This is KDNK. Thank you for listening.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for having us.